2: found faithful are you living according to god's purpose for your life welcome to the barnabas
1: effect with paul purvis senior pastor of mission hill church a multicultural multi-generational multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of jesus like a city on a hill you're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. It's
2: 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's where we're going to write, find our scripture reading. Hardly a day goes by that I don't pick up my phone and use the app, version to follow along. If you have a phone, you certainly can do that. I want to encourage you, though, since we're going to be hanging out in this book of the Bible for several weeks, uh, try to, to get, grab a, a hard copy of God's Word to bring with you so that you can follow along. I just think it helps you as you dig in and, and keep it there on your lap to see what God's saying, even as we're going to go this morning. Hey, I want you to understand something that I've found to be fact. The older I get, the more I realize one of the greatest pains a person can experience is as a parent to watch your child go through pain. There's nothing like it, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain or, or spiritual pain. You love them so much, you want to help them. You, you want to overcome that for them. Whether that's pain that comes like it did with the prodigal son as a result of their choices or, or whether it's simply the consequences of a fallen world, that pain grips the heart of a parent. And that's the context for which the apostle Paul writes this chapter. These words we're about to read first Corinthians chapter four, he's talking to people that he regarded as his spiritual children. The church at Corinth he had spent a year and a half investing in them many of them had become Christ followers under his tutelage as he shared Jesus with them now he had an opportunity to to challenge them as they were in the midst of this spiritual pain I want you to remember the theme of this entire letter It's a simple phrase. Here it is. Your connectivity with God is what forms your identity in Jesus, in Christ, and that's what fuels your activity for him. And I want us just to take a step back before we do anything else and think about those three areas of our lives and do an evaluation. So first, I I want you to think about your connectivity with God. Have you come to that place where you've stepped across the faith line? Some would put it this way. Jesus said, have you been born again? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you done what it takes to know that you are part of the family of God? Have you come to that place in your life where you recognize that you are a sinner and that sin separates you from God and it keeps you from his best in your life? And have you surrendered your life to his call, acknowledging what he did on the cross of Calvary? Here's what I want you to understand. Every time we gather in this room, we are made up of a group of different people. Some come from one side of the track. Some come from the others. Some are rich. Some are poor. Many are somewhere in between. Some are black. Some are white. Some are Asian. Some are Hispanic. We have folks from all over the world who gather here. We have folks who are deeply struggling in their messed up lives with all kind of sin choices. We have others who are deep in a pursuit of holiness, clothed in the righteousness of God. We are all in this journey called life and at different stages of the faith journey, and we all have this in common, the ground is level at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we evaluate where we are. Have I come to that place where I've connected with God through Jesus? And if not, could it be that today is that day? Secondly, if you've come to that place, are you living with an assurance that your identity is in Christ? Now, here's a way to evaluate that. What do you think most about? What you wear, what you drive, where you live, your position, your prominence, your influence, what others think of you? Or are you motivated by what the Apostle Paul describes throughout again and again, the New Testament? I am in Christ, but by the grace of God, I'm I'm nothing. But because of the grace of God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where is your identity? If your identity is in anything other than Christ, here's what you'll find. You will always be lacking and longing for more. And, and then this is an easy one, isn't it? What about your attitudes and your actions? Do they bring glory to God? So a quick way just to determine this is, is what I'm doing making God smile, right? Do I bring pleasure to my creator as a result of my life? In chapter three, Paul had addressed this first challenge for the church at Corinth. Remember, we've titled this My Messed Up Life because he was writing to a group of people who had messed up lives in a messed up world. And part of their messed up life was that they were divided. They had all kinds of camp. One group wanted Paul to be the pastor. One group wanted a guy named Apollos to be the pastor. Another group said, what about Peter? Another group said, what about Jesus? And in chapter three, we find out that all of this stemmed from spiritual unhealth. They were not spiritually healthy. Paul said, I I wish I could say that you're lost, but I know you're saved. You're not the natural person. And by the way, I've been in this category I'm about to describe. There have been times it would have been a lot easier if I could have just said, I didn't know Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, you're expected to act one way. But Paul said, I couldn't say you're lost. But I also couldn't say you're acting as if you're spiritual, that you're walking in the spiritual. So I'm going to have to just say you're walking in the flesh. You're a carnal person. And what does a carnal person do? They're making decisions based in the flesh. And he says, as a result of that, you've got all kinds of problems and it's creating havoc in the church. Don't miss this. Spiritual immaturity is never experienced in a vacuum. Your attitudes and your actions when you're spiritually immature, they always affect other people. And so that's why if you're a Christ follower, you need to start taking this seriously because it's impacting your marriage, it's impacting your family, it's impacting how you work, and it's impacting your church. It's probably impacting your community. It is encircling you. It doesn't take place in a vacuum. And usually it shows up in, the, in our relationships. That's what he's talking about here. And it's a great reminder that if we have horizontal relationship problems, what do we need to do? Evaluate how we're doing vertically with God. So in, in chapter four, Paul really is attempting to put this issue to rest. He's addressing these relationship problems kind of once more with a final blow because there's some big things he needs to get to, right? Chapter five, just to whet your appetite for next week, well, he's going to jump right into dealing with this guy who's shacked up with his stepmother in the church. I mean, there's some big messed up problems in the little Corinthian messed up world. So, so that Paul can get to those things, he's addressing these relationship issues. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of of the mysteries of God. I want you to look at that phrase. This is how we should be regarded. This is how we should be known. This is how we should be looked to two words. We're servants and we're stewards. If you're a Christ follower, when people look at you, they should look at you as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And we're going to unpack that in a second. He says it in verse two, what really is the theme of this whole chapter. Moreover, In other words, in light of this, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I want you to say this with me. Say, I want to be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So understand the context. (laughs) They're complaining. That's how we know this was a Baptist church. They were complaining about what was taking place. And if you'll allow me to translate this, Paul says, when he says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you, what he's saying is, I don't really give a flip what you think. But I want you to see why. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, I am going to stand in account, but not to you, to the Lord. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you once more to speak, give us ears to hear, and a heart and mind to receive. Teach us what we do not know. I beg you, Father, would you give us that which we do not have. And for your glory, would you make us what we've not yet become. And, Lord, even as I read this morning from Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth the meditation, the thoughts of my heart and mind be pleasing to you for you are my rock and my salvation. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for someone that's listening to this message. God, I pray for many of us who are Christ followers that we would understand that intense, immense goal of being found faithful. Lord, may all of this be for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. What's your purpose in life? Really, that's something you need to know. Rick Warren began that popular book with this phrase, what on earth am I here for? You've got to be able to answer that question. What is your purpose in life? We can think about that just by thinking about some Things that we see regularly or that are a part of our life. So this is participation. I want you to answer back. What is the purpose of a stop sign? Yeah, to get you to stop. Right. It's pretty easy, right? What is the purpose of a dishwasher? It wasn't quite one word like the last one, but yeah, you want to wash dishes. Hey, what's the purpose of a telephone? Did you see what we did there? You're like, oh, that's a kind of a different one. Now, some of you, like me, you grew up and a telephone was that thing that sat on the end table, and you would put your finger in it, and you'd go, and then when on the old Camden Road, we got into the big time, and I don't know, we must have got a raise, or I think Mr. John Melton, who worked for Southern Bell, Bob Bell, he gave us a touch dial phone and you could just beep, and you knew what a a telephone did. You just called people. But, hey, the purpose of this device is kind of clouded now. I mean, some of you think the purpose of this is just to play games because that's all you do on it. Some of this use this just to go on social media. You can listen to music on this. You can get your directions from this. You can talk to Alexa on it. I mean, all kind of things you can do with this. In fact, uh, you can even use this to put a timer on, but they don't work very well. So I don't use that that very much. I think when it comes to the purpose of being a, a child of God, some of us have confused the purpose. We've complicated and conflated that which God wants us to be. We've misunderstood the simplicity of what it's all about. And so for some of us, we act as if the purpose is that we're religious professionals, and that's what we do. We we can put on our church clothes, and we can act churchy, and we can follow the list of do's and don'ts, and that's kind of what we view as a purpose, as God's creation. Others of us have viewed our purpose as political gatekeepers. And how am I sad in the heart of God to think that Jesus died a cruel death on a cross so that we could spend the bulk of our energy sharing our political opinion? What's your purpose? In order to know your purpose, you have to understand why, we, why you were created. So let's go back to that verse. Paul is talking about what we're created for. We are servants of Christ and we're stewards of the mystery of God. Do you understand those two words? First, I'm a servant. To be a servant of Christ is to act under the authority or the order of another person. So in the 80s, when I was coming of age, that was when everybody was wearing the WWJD t-shirt. What would Jesus do? We didn't really need to do that. We could just say this, WDJD. What did Jesus do? Or WDGTUD. What does God tell us to do? It's not that complicated. If I'm a servant of Christ, then really what I want to do is that which God has already laid forth, that which I do. But then I'm also a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward is one who's put in charge of a household or a state. So I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, hey, how um, how do I manage that which I've been given? And so in light of this, Paul then says, because I know who I am, I now know what my purpose is. Because I'm a servant and because I'm a steward, my purpose is to be found faithful. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. His purpose was simple, to be faithful to the one who's created him. When you understand that you're a servant of God and he desires you to be a steward of the mysteries of God, You have one purpose. Be found faithful. It's simple. Be found faithful. Are you living according to God's purpose for your life? Are you being found faithful, doing what he says to do, managing that which he's given you, that which he's entrusted? As a child of God, you are useless And not useful if you're not managing that which he has given you for his glory. So maybe you need to back up and say, do I understand that everything I have is a gift from God? This is challenging in our American culture because we work so hard to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And so we think what we have was given to us by ourselves. Or we expect that what we have should be given to us by the government. But the Bible says that every good and every perfect gift that we have flows down not out of our pockets, but from where? From the Father above. So what we have to ask is, what am I doing with that which I have been given? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Jesus said this in Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You know, our problem with this is we think that God evaluates on earthly standards, and he does not. He does not view things the way we do. I know we think that because we feel pretty good about ourselves compared to old so-and-so. You know what I'm talking about? Truthfully, if I were to come up with you and we were put on a lie detector or something like that, I'd say, how are you doing? Many of you would say this, well, I'm doing pretty good compared to old so-and-so to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my relative. And so if we're filling out this list of expectations of religious professionals, if we've got this list of things we're doing, I go to church and I drop something in the offering plate and I pray before my meal, man, I'm doing pretty good. But God doesn't evaluate on our standards. The standard for us is perfection. We know that because Jesus was asked, what does it require of you to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, be perfect, even as my father in heaven is perfect. A.W. Tozer said, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We've measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the spirit is all gone. So we stop pursuing the holiness and the righteousness and the best of God because we've we've become content with measuring ourselves by ourselves. Now, what Paul is saying, that's not okay. Okay. What's required of you is not that you please yourself or even that you please those around you, but that you please God. And that has corporate and personal implications. So look again at verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing. Remember what I said, Paul saying, "I, I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me, he's saying. I do care about what God cares about me. And and this is relevant. The reason I say it has corporate implications, I want you to think about this. I hope all of you live in this area and stay a part of this church for the rest of your lives. But some of you are going to move and you're going to be even find a church home and figure out where God wants you. I want you to think about this. Don't find a church based on what preacher meets your needs or makes you happy or makes you feel good because that is not their job. In fact, a spiritual leader should not find themselves fixated on the opinions and the feelings and the desires of those they serve. They should be focused on being found faithful by their creator. Let me tell you what that looks like. So I, I tell folks often, and some of you have experienced this, I've been here almost seven years now, complete, and, and I say, hey, hang around me long enough and I'll let you down. <laughs> not because I want to, not because I do it intentionally, but because I am a sinner saved by God's grace. I mean, I have bad hair days and I blow it. So I need to know some things that are my priorities. What am I supposed to focus on so that I'll be found faithful? So I've even had to think through this, even in this last week, just reviewing this, and and I, I put some thoughts down. First is my pursuit of holiness in my personal life. I need to be seeking after the things of God so that I'm a godly husband first and father second, then be a godly pastor. So purity, that faithfulness in that way is so important. Secondly, I need to develop an intimate prayer life so that I have an active communion with, with God in prayer. And so if I'm not with God privately, I'm not going to be much with God when I come out publicly. And then thirdly, I need to have a hunger and a thirst for the word of God, because the Bible says if I abide in God's word and his word abides in me, there will be much fruit. So I need to spend quality time in God's word and receive a word from God for the people of God. And then fourthly, I need to empower folks like you. That's what Ephesians 4 says. I need to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I need to empower you to lead out and accomplish the vision that God has given us. I'm not supposed to do everything. I'm not the hired gun. I'm supposed to help you do what God wants you to do. And then fifthly, I have another goal in my life, and and that's just to uh, invest in other pastors. So that's why I train pastors in different places in the world, and then also to reach back and, and bring another generation of young pastors along. And so if I know what those things are, if I'm seeking after that, I'm more likely to be found faithful in these areas. what What are your goals in your life? What are the things that you're seeking after? There are personal implications for you. Every Christ follower will be accountable for how we've lived out the life that God has entrusted to us. So in verse five, he says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive the commendation from the Lord. He said, I don't care what you think. I really don't even care what my I think because I know I'm not perfect, but I do care what he thinks. Because one day I'm going to stand before him. He's talking about what he describes in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, the day for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will stand before that bema, even as followers of Jesus, and we will give account on that day. Now, I believe the big thing God will do for his children on that day is he'll give us rewards for the life that we have lived. You say, well, hey, I'm not worried about that. I don't want any rewards. Well, I just want you to know that Jesus gave up his crown on the cross so that he might give out crowns for you on that day. And what will you do? What we'll all do is in light of the presence of the holiness of God, we'll take those crowns and go, oh, no. And we'll lay them at the feet of Jesus. But he wants on that day, For us to receive those crowds so that he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.